men will come for an ad for a boy with more aggression and less self-preservation than anything I've ever seen or heard of. It is just like sharks to a piece of meat. There's absolute demonic abandon. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. If you're new to the program, welcome. We are a husband and wife filmmaking team taking a stand for biblical principles and values. We're on a mission to educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved in the issues impacting our society and culture. This show is an extension of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. So if you haven't already seen our new movie, Inwood Drive, you can watch it today by visiting our website at fearlessfeatures.org, or it's also available on Amazon Prime if you're a subscriber, where over 50,000 others have seen the horrifying story about abortionist Klopfer, his career, and grisly discovery of over 2,000 fetal remains at his home. So today, we are picking back up with Craig Sawyer of Veterans for Child Rescue. And if you've missed any of the previous episodes, be sure to visit fearlessfeatures.org to search the podcast archives as we share the behind the scenes. So with me, as usual, is my husband, filmmaker, author, director, Mark Archer. Hello, my love. Here I am. (laughs) So here we are. Part three. Of this journey. Part three with Craig, the Sawman Sawyer. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting interview. Um, If you've missed the first two installments, go back to last week's starting on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. I'll leave them in the show notes for you. And really to get the, the full understanding of what Craig does now, you have to also go into the show notes or just go to contralandmovie.com mm-hmm. and you need to watch Contraland, which is the first documentary film that uh, Craig produced through the, his nonprofit, mm-hmm. which kind of has a multi-purpose. They, mm-hmm. they do documentary films to expose the problems of child sex trafficking and pedophilia in the United States. Contraland does a phenomenal job of exposing that. I'll just give you fair warning. It is a, it's, I wouldn't say it's graphic, but it's, it's hard to watch. Yeah. Because it's, it just hits you square in the face with what's going on. And it's just terrifying. And even today on today's podcast, there is very sensitive conversations Mm -hmm. that we're going to have with Craig that you're going to be able to listen to. Um, Because we, if if you don't know, we interviewed um, Craig Sawyer for our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about the sexualization of our children in the public classrooms. Uh, and so he has a lot to add. Because he sees it outside of the classrooms. Right. Because he deals with it with the child trafficking aspect. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, listening to this part of his interview, and this is... Uh, you know, our, our attitude in bringing you this kind of content is I would rather know the gruesome truth than a pretty lie. Mm -hmm. And Craig will say the same thing. This is why he does this is because he wants people to know. Yeah, it's not pretty, but I would rather know what's going on. I mean, we saw just, just last week, a, um, uh, an example of this kind of thing uh, where a, what, two-year-old boy was lured out of a church nursery mm-hmm. and disappeared. Mm-hmm. 
Fortunately, they found him. Praise Fortunately, the Lord. thank the Lord, they found this boy. And, you know, just for all of these defund the police people, uh, who is it that you would call in a situation like that? You, mm-hmm. you, you should thank the Lord for the police mm-hmm. and the marshals mm-hmm. and the FBI, because they're the ones that found this boy and brought him safely back. So mm-hmm. I am grateful for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for Craig and everyone at Veterans for Child Rescue and what they do. And I also talked to him while we were in Arizona, and that's where this interview is um, coming to you from, is what's happening at the border? Because Mm -hmm. we have a surge in illegal immigrants coming into America. So how is this going to impact our children and the communities around us. And being in Arizona, they're a border state. So it's interesting to get his perspective and hear about his ride-alongs uh, with Border Patrol and mm. and what they're seeing down there. It's very eye-opening. As you heard in the intro, though, what you're going to hear about um, here in Craig's interview has some very scary uh, connotations to it. And it reminded me of uh, Genesis 19. And I just want to read this. So this is Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. And I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. I won't make too many comments on (laughs) Lot's decision to offer up his daughters <clears throat> to this but you crowd. Can, but you can see the depravity. Like he, Lot knew beforehand. That's why he didn't want the, the angels, right. the lords, to stay in the square. Because he knew the society in which he lived. Yeah. What is the society in which we live? So let me carry on here. Yes, go ahead. Back to verse 9. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. These two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. And it goes on. And the In which it does get destroyed. And it does get destroyed. And why does it get destroyed? 
It tells you right there because the outcry against this place has been so great. Mm-hmm. Never underestimate the power of your prayers. Yeah. And I, I think listening to Craig talk about um, dealing with this perversion of these pedophiles and how out of control, maniacal men get, especially when they are offered the chance to molest and rape little boys Mm -hmm. is it is absolutely demonic. And we see it here in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to put that into perspective uh, for people that this is not, this is not exaggeration. Mm -mm. This is Craig telling you, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I would rather hear the hard truth than a pretty lie. Mm -hmm. So Let's give a listen to Craig Sawyer, part three. What we're looking at as of today is a border that is essentially wide open. When I've in years past gone down to the border, there would be occasional groups coming in, smuggling in narcotics and weed and different things, sometimes humans. Rarely children in our area because it was so mountainous and very treacherous. So they were bringing the children through the major ports of entry. Well, now I spent a couple days and nights rolling on the border with a law enforcement unit and watching all of what they were dealing with and in Laredo. Of course, the river's knee or waist deep in some places, and just people are literally pouring across because the the unofficial message has been sent out globally. Hey, our border's wide open. We're not going to defend it. Come one, come all. And so that means we get all comers. So there's a, a chaotic invasion going on where law enforcement can interdict one group of five or 10, but there's 200 crossing up the road. So it's literally a chaotic invasion where there's no control. And when there's a lack of control and chaos, Children always end up losing. And that's what's going on down there right now. The children are, are being used as pawns as a kind of a meal ticket, a free ticket into the United States. Oh, we're a family unit. See, here's a child. And the border defense units are so overwhelmed that they're not checking as diligently as they should. All of the proper paperwork is not in place And a lot of these children have no idea who the people are who are picking them up and saying, this is our child. We're a family unit. You got to let us in. Can't stop us. And these children are being handed off and sent on on buses and and handed off at at, uh, convenience store parking lots. We're watching a lot of this happen and going, how many hundreds of thousands of little children are being brought into the United States through no checks and balances right now, without the proper paperwork, without their family, and being sent to only God knows who. It breaks my heart because the little children can't defend themselves. And um, they're being, our borders being exploited. The children are being exploited. And this, this chaotic situation where there's no control is an absolute nightmare. It's a disaster. And the poor little children are the, I think, the primary losers here. Why do you think the children are targeted? Not just at the border. Why are the children targeted for the pedophiles, for anybody? 
I think children are targeted for a lot of reasons. Number one is that they're so vulnerable. They're easy prey. They're, they're defenseless, if you will, in so many ways. So it's a predatory mind that would harm a little one. Let's face it, those of us who are healthy and sound are wired, we're psychologically, condi not conditioned, but just naturally wired, if you, if you will, to defend the little ones. We're, we grow up and we understand we're to look after the little ones, defend the defenseless. That's normal for, for a human and a lot of species. You know, I mean, you try, I challenge you to go try to reach into the den of any wild animal and grab a mama's cubs. You're going to draw back a nub, right? Because she's going to give you teeth, horns, and claws. So if we think about it, why are we any less protective as humans? Why are we offering our children up to strangers with no supervision who we don't know? So we have to understand that there's a lot of them that are raping our children and molesting them and shattering their minds. So we can't allow that unsupervised access anymore. We have to have people with eyes on. We have to have double checks. But I think the children are easy prey for those who are just either abusive by nature or they're so insecure that they can't, they don't have the confidence to find a, 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 an adult partner. So they want to take out their sexual lust on a little one. So there's a sexual aspect of it, but a lot of it, quite frankly, by my observation, is just an abusive. It's a demented, abusive, predatory type of behavior. That It's not about sex. Even if they do rape the child, it's really more about punishing and abusing and taking out a some sort of dark, evil drive within them that they want to take out their frustrations on someone or abuse someone. And little children are unable to defend themselves from it. So I think that's a lot of the reason why. And then, of course, at the darkest, most harmful, despicable end of it is the, the spiritual belief that torturing and murdering the children is something that they're supposed to do, so... Tell me, tell me about the kids. Um, once they're rescued, what is, what is the posture and behavior and mentally, emotionally, physically, how are these children after these things happen, after they're trafficked, after they've been groomed? It was surprising for me to learn that children once rescued from a child trafficking situation were not thankful and happy to be free, but not that surprised because I've been trained uh, to be a prisoner in, in the military. In certain high threat situations, we know that there's a high likelihood that members of our unit could be captured. And so we had to be trained on how to deal with that, right? So I wasn't that surprised, but in learning about it, that so many of these children are quite calloused, if you will, towards anybody that's not in their group because they've been taught that and conditioned over years through drug abuse, beatings, and psychological abuse and a lot of verbal reinforcement that they are part of something and that their pimp is actually their boyfriend. 
and that everyone outside of that, including any other civilians or law enforcement, are bad people that mean to mess up these people, this group's ability to feed themselves. And that uh, whenever a victim talks to law enforcement, they're, they're punished for it when they're, when they're back in the group. So they're very hesitant. And they really have Stockholm syndrome, meaning that they, they grow an attachment to their abuser or their pimp, and they've, they're accustomed to it. So yes, it's a very rough and abusive life, very destructive lifestyle for them, but that's what they know. It's become normal. And so it's scary for them to consider leaving that and trying something different, even though entirely more help, healthy and empowering for them, it, it's going to be hard work to get there. So some of them don't want to go through the hard work. We, we rescued one young lady and we got her a, a job. She had uh, an honorable little job and she was doing so good at it. Got her her own bank account, her, her um, high school diploma, you know, GED, her driver's license, just empowered her and set her up for her own success. She was in church and she later confided in us. She goes, yeah, it, it's, it's better, but it's, it's harder than living in a life in a, a life of selling myself for sex. And even though it started off as an abusive thing and a manipulative, controlling thing with a lot of a drug abuse and beatings and so forth, she eventually got to where she was selling herself, as so many of them do. It's just a progression or a, or a downward spiral, really, is what it honestly is. But so many of them, once they're rescued, they, it, they go back to it, because not because it's better, but because it's familiar. It's all that they know. So it really takes a good 18 to 24 months minimum for genuine therapy and counseling and healing before they can be expected to go on and make a healthy long-term existence in life for themselves. So it, it's not something that a quick fix in a, a couple weeks here or there is going to solve for them. So many of them run back four, five, six, seven, eight times before it sticks and they actually can, can be saved. So it's, it's not like people might imagine that it's, they're, they're in, a, in a cage and they're just being beaten and screamed at and you break in and you pull them out of the cage and you hand them back to their mother and everything's hunky-dory and they live happily ever after. I would love it if that could be the case a lot more than it is. But in reality, it's much more complicated and they've been groomed into it and, and, and accustomed to it. So... It's a process of weeding them back off, weaning them, really, weaning them back off of this abusive lifestyle from which uh, they've, they've grown so accustomed. So, Oh, my word. It's like drug addiction. They're addicts. Oh, yes. Yeah. Doing life on life terms is hard. We interviewed a, a drug um, counselor. Uh, if it was for another project, but uh, we were up there with a, a recovery center for all these drug addicts. And, and as you're talking, I thought, oh my gosh, their mindset has so shifted and been manipulated. They're addicts. Oh, I they have to be retrained what they are and what their value is. Oh my word. I would have never, I would have never put that together. 
these victims, once they're recovered and they're going through therapy, they really have to be retrained. They have to be educated on the reality of who they really are. What their value really is, because they've lost it. Tragically, they've been told their only value is to sell their body for sex. Their mind, their creativity, all the rest of what they are, they don't know the value, sadly. And they have to be shown and taught, this is who you are. This is what you, this is what you can contribute. This is why you matter, okay? And then after seeing that, and exercising it and exploring it, they can begin to understand and value themselves and get it. Once that really takes root, that's when you see them quit going back into that life of cheap sexual sale for the, for the dollar or for the drugs or what have you. When we ran our first sting operation, we did it in Connecticut. And it was a nice area, but it was a rural area. And the ad was a back page ad. And that ad was a 12 to 13 year old girl for sex. And it didn't elaborate much more than that, but it was a local ad. So it wasn't a national or a global ad. It was a local targeted ad. And in 30 days, 5,000 predator responses came in for that single ad. 30 days, 5,000. So we're not talking downtown New York City or some really heavily populated area. So it just stunned us to realize the pervasiveness. It's not somewhere else. It's not another country. It's not even across town. It's maybe next door. It's in your neighborhood, you're gonna have at least one or more predators just because of the way the math would have to break down now. And whenever we would have a slow afternoon in the sting operation with responses to the ads, our investigator would say, well, I could put out an ad for a boy on Grinder, but you'd better have Everybody's standing by because they'll come running like you've never seen before. It'll turn your stomach. And so men will come for an ad for a boy with more aggression and less self-preservation than anything I've ever seen or heard of. At least when the ad is for a girl, there's a little bit of a courting type of process and language and and some sort of, of civility, sick and dark as it may be. But for a boy, it is just like sharks to a piece of meat. There's absolute demonic abandon of all self-awareness, and they just run. They're, they're things like, I, I'm not even five minutes from there. I can be there in five minutes. You know, when can we start? It just crude raw, ugly, perverse sexual aggression. The most despicable thing I've ever encountered. I read a book about 
the Japanese in World War II. And it, one of the stories was how brutal one of these Japanese soldiers was. And it was, it was that way on their entire campaign when they had gone into China in years before. And this old Japanese soldier was so, what's the word I'm looking for? He had no empathy, no sympathy. He was so sociopathic that he would just tell the story with no remorse whatsoever to the author who was interviewing him. And the author was asking him, what kind of things had you seen and, and done there? What, how were the Chinese people greeting you? And what was the nature of that hostility in that campaign? And we're talking about a lot of cannibalism and beheading contests and things like that of the Japanese against the Chinese people. And he said, well, the Japanese soldier said, well, we went to go invade this one village and all the villagers had escaped ahead of our arrival. But there was young, one uh, beautiful young lady who greeted us at the edge of the village and she said, welcome, welcome. All of my people have fled, but I told them that, you know, they were wrong to fear you, that you're not monsters. And uh, we, you know, they, they don't need to be fearful. And the author said, well, what, what did you do? And the Japanese soldier said, well, I, uh, I raped her and I killed her and I ate her. And that's what I look back to when I look at the American people now who say, oh, we're, this is not a war on our children. If, if we don't pay attention to it, it'll be okay. You don't see it. I see it because I deal with it. But there is an agenda. There's a big money and there's a lot of influence, very specifically pushing, pushing to change the culture of the United States, to normalize the destruction of our offspring and to harm our children. And it is hostile as anything ever gets. It is absolutely evil. And the American people need to wake up and face it. We need to find the moral courage to realize we are under attack and they are attacking our most innocent and defenseless. And that is the nature uh, of this attack. We better wake up to it so that we can fight back effectively or we'll have no more of our next generations. There'll be none of them that will be prepared to resist any sort of abuse or harm on any scale ever. Thank you guys for sticking around to the end. If you'd like to help be a force multiplier in our effort to share truth, be sure to share your support at our website, fearlessfeatures.org, to make sure people everywhere know what's happening to America's children. When you partner with us through this filmmaking ministry, we can take a stand together to protect the moral innocence of children everywhere and uphold truth and biblical principles and values. So we will talk to you again on Thursday right here as we upload new content every Tuesday and Thursday. Have a wonderfully blessed day.